What's up, Revelation Wellness family? I'm Aaron, one of the team members here, and I wanna thank you for being with us today. We're so excited that we are in the Body Revelation season. Not only can you pre-order Alisa's new book and get access to exclusive bonuses, like the full audio version of the book, but we're spending the next six weeks bringing you special Revving the Words and teachings each week that will walk you through each stage connected to metabolizing pain and into healing. So be sure to swipe up on the show notes for a link to pre-order the body revelation. Let's get ready to dive into the Lisa. All right, friends, let's start our time together by taking a deep breath. Inhale and soften your belly. Breathe really extravagantly. Exhale. Do it again. I want it to be obnoxious. Go ahead and inhale at the belly. Expand. Exhale, palms soften, jaw softens. Good. So why did I start that way today? Because today we're going to do some heavy work together as we continue to walk through the six stages of metabolizing pain last week being the first stage of surviving. This week, we're going to talk about recognizing and what we need to do is recognize that we have a hard time changing. And yet we cannot change what we do not recognize. I read this quote today from Sheryl Sandberg. She's the author of a, of a book called Women Work and the Will to Lead. And it's, she said this, we cannot change what we are not aware of. And once we are aware, we cannot help but change. Good observation, good quote. But here's the thing, the we cannot help but change. Um, I need help with change. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have tried changing some things. And even though I cannot help but change, it actually showed that I need help with my change. I cannot change. Just because I recognize something, I cannot change it on my own. This is why we have a savior we can't save ourselves and we can't even change ourselves. Do we have some autonomy? Do we have some agency? Absolutely. But ultimately, we will only be able to go as far as the boundary lines that God has put in place so that we would come to him. He is a savior. He is not opposed to helping. Actually, next stage, we'll be talking about that. But today we have to drop the pin on the mess. We have to recognize that it's a mess. We say that wholeness requires our whole mess. Our wholeness in Christ requires the whole mess, but we have to be able to just pull back without fear and shame and condemnation to just recognize without all the charged emotion that it's kind of a mess. Our flesh frustrates us and fails us. That's what it says in Romans 7. If you listen to Monday's Revving the Word, we talk about Romans 7, how Paul's recognizing, man, the very thing I want to do, I don't seem to do. And the thing I don't want to do, I keep doing that. You can sense his frustration. He is frustrated. Our flesh frustrates us and fails us. It's a mess. <laughs> That's what I'd like to say is internal folly inside of me, just me, me alone, me governing my life, it's a mess. 
I'm made to be over or under sovereignty, that God is over me, that God is leading, that God has made a plan for my life and I want it to, to, to align with that direction and way. But inside of me, there's all kinds of wants and desires as we talked about in stage one in survival. You can keep getting through this life. Those desires you have will keep getting you another day, another meal on the table. But we weren't made just to survive. We were made to live, have a savior and thrive. So our flesh frustrates us on the inside. We feel it. We know what's right to do and yet we don't do it. We see our sin and we try to ignore it and bury it. So inside of us in our internal landscape, it's, it's a mess and there's a savior. And our laws fail us. So what laws are, are these external constructs we put in place because internally we feel agitated, we feel stressed, we feel scared, we feel the mess. We feel, we know if we're not saved or where are we going, what's this life for? All those desires rolling around inside of us as we learned in James 4 are bumping up against others and so laws have to get put in place so we don't kill one another. But even our laws fail, friends. Romans 3.20, it says that, that the law proves that I'm a sinner. I can't keep the law. So inside of us, I don't know righteousness. I don't really know peace unless God is ruling and reigning inside this body and giving me the revelation. And externally, I am prone to set up rules and more rules. And you know, for every law, there will be another law. That's why in the beginning, when God gives them 10 commandments, by the time Jesus, is come, Jesus comes, there's six over 600 commandments. Because for every law, you're gonna need another law. You know this with food rules. You know this, that if you start working the, the math equation of 3,500 calories equal one pound, okay, then I'll start, I'll only do this many calories a day. Okay, and now we've only lost this amount of, amount of weight, so now I'm going to have to put in another rule so that I can lose more weight, right? We just, we're constantly measuring and balancing. That's why if you look in the front of most courthouses or uh, the legal system, you'll have a woman holding scales, balancing the justice scales, and hear me, God is a God of justice, but that's not the highest level of who God is. God reigns and rules over all of it. And the supremacy of who he is is love. And that love is found in the truth of who he is and the truth sets us free, truly free, so that we can be free from our internal mess <laughs> and distress we feel free to worship God and turn those desires into something of use that God can take and use and freedom from these laws and rules around us. Now, here's the biblical definition of freedom. Doesn't mean freedom to do what you want. It's a freedom to do as you ought because there is a way that leads to life and we are free to follow Christ into that way. So we have to recognize the mess, right? Just, just recognize it, go, okay, all the things that I try to do on the inside, all the self-help things I try and the practices, listen, practices are good, but they're not the point of life. Christ is the point, becoming more Christ-like, being 
a discipler, discipling others, missionally activated and on mission each day. That's the point of your life. But if you're carrying around a whole mess on the inside and you're constantly looking and needing rules on the outside and if someone should step outside of that line and rule, then you're gonna be offended and you're gonna take issue, that just creates more mess. And all of this rolls back to that stage one of misplaced and misused desire. (laughs) This mess on the inside and the mess around us, external folly around us that we try to put laws in place. It's all just misplaced and misused desire that is sin. And the root of all sin is idolatry, guys. We worship and serve created things, ourselves or others, rather than creator God. That is the definition of idolatry. And idolatry is pain. Sin is pain. Idolatry is pain. And all of that causes the mess among us and the mess within us. And we can recognize that God is here to change it because nothing's wasted. So what I want to do today is we're in this uh, stage two of recognizing. We have to recognize the mess. Well, let's, let's give it some words. Let's give it some language about what, what is this mess, Lisa? Why is it that I still desire? I, I want to be free from my addictions, my obsessions, my depression, my anxiety, my pain. I want freedom. Okay, then let's get, we're going to concrete evidence now as to what this stuff is and what, uh, what happens to us when we live in this state of being. And that state of being is called stress, ongoing stress. It's not a problem to have stress. It's when it's ongoing all the time. And if you grew up in an environment where around you, it was unsafe, Um, you were unsure, you were unloved, or you just, it wasn't a safe place to be and have resiliency and you weren't championed and cheered and heard, then that creates an environment inside of you that is more prone to ongoing stress. You're waiting for the shoe to drop all the time. So what we need to do is drop the pin on what that's called. And friends, it's an overused word right now, but we're going to use the word and then I want to blow up and take a bigger look at what it is and it's called trauma. You've heard the word trauma, capital T, little t traumas. But here's what I want to say. I'd like to take that word and change it to trouble. John 16:33, John uh, Jesus says, "In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Be of good courage, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world." In this world, you will have problems. You will have tent. There's going to be opposition. You will have trouble. That word like persecution to be persecuted is to be like Jesus scorned or mocked, or it's the very thing we don't want. Like we are raised to run from trauma, move or run from trouble, get out of trouble. But you're going to have trouble. This is why this is the greatest gift. Y'all, I wrote this book. Here's a high side note. I wrote it. I wrote it for your kids. <laughs> I love you, but, but I'm, I've got real hope for this next generation because if we can teach them how to process pain and trouble, they're going to be in great shape because 
the world is not going to serve them up anything to teach them how to swim upstream or go against the grain. The world is constantly providing comforts for our pain and they will have pain in this world. So a capital T trauma is anything that is when the body is overwhelmed, your nervous system gets overwhelmed, you kind of shut down. It's almost as if you disassociate from your body. Things like war, uh, sexual, physical abuse, um, disasters, natural disasters, floods, fires, it is too big. It overwhelms you. If your body was held against your will, held at gunpoint, mugged, um, violent crimes, those do happen in the world. Come on now. And the body gets completely overwhelmed. The nervous system gets overwhelmed and frozen. And those uh, big T's lead to something what's also known as uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So that will lead to having a hard time just living your daily life. You will actually reenact, reenact or not reenact. You actually hold that trauma as if it's going to happen again. And there are ways to somatically heal, to let that thing move through because the body never had a chance to act out or run or to do what it needed to do because it froze. So if you are listening to me and you're someone who you have had that moment, you, you disconnected from the moment, you disassociated from the moment, good news, healing is here and it's gentle and it's kind and God madly loves you and by no means wants you to stay stuck like you are. Help is here. Okay. Little T trouble, little T pains. These are just ongoing things like being bullied or being shamed or being rejected. Um, a divorce, death of a loved one, uh, early death of a loved one, death of a pet, loss, just loss, loss of a job, financial difficulties, bankruptcy. Those are little T's. And if you combine that with a world that is at high flux capacity, movement, technology, input, information all the time, like we are constantly buzzing and humming, and that actually makes us feel good. If we just take in more information, it makes us feel, quote, safe, back to surviving, but it does not liberate us. It does not bring healing. And so these little T, little pains add up over time. So even though if you're someone, you're like, Lisa, I've never had big T, I've never had big P pain, but I've had a lot of little T's. And if you, again, did not grow up, if you didn't grow up in a home where you could express yourself, where you were loved and cared for, you could, you had some uh, physical and emotional attunement to your body, then if you had that, that's awesome. Maybe this book isn't for you. Uh, my, uh, here's who this book is not for. If you are quick to believe the best, if you are quick to walk in faith, and, um, and if you are quick to forgive others, and you know, you're, then you're nailing it. You should probably write your own book. And all I would ask is, are you being honest? <laughs> are you being honest? Are you are the real deal? I just think we're all walking through this. In this world, we will have trouble. There is a questionnaire in the book. And I, I, I referenced this ACE questionnaire. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire. Does your body feel like a problem to be solved? Do you feel stuck with your body trying to make the best of what you've been given? Are you still prone to getting stuck in the obsess and neglect cycle concerning your body? Friends, this is Elisa 
And this is why I wrote my next book, The Body Revelation. In The Body Revelation, you will learn how to stop treating your body as a problem to be solved and learn how to engage with your body and God as part of the solution instead. This isn't a book just to be read. It's a book to be trained. Swipe up on the show notes now to pre-order your copy of The Body Revelation. Thanks for helping us share with the world that what's needed now on the earth is for each of us to walk with God and receive a body revelation. And now back to our show. There is a questionnaire in the book and I, I, I referenced this ACE questionnaire. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire. And in line with these traumas, um, capital T, little t, Again, you guys, there's so much more in the book. I, I sure hope you read it. And there's fun brain science. A kid could even get it if you get the book. Like this is stuff that if you understand it, you can teach it f for yourself and give it away to others. Um, but the Adverse Childhood Experience uh, Questionnaire, it, the genesis of it is it came out of a, a research, some research scientists in San Diego, Filetti and Onda. Well, Filetti... He did this, he had a weight loss program where morbidly obese patients, not people that need to lose 10 or 15 pounds, but morbidly obese patients were coming to him and losing hundreds of pounds of weight because he put them on a program and he, you know, medical doctor overseeing them. And it was really successful until it wasn't. What he noticed is successful people as they were losing the weight after a hundred pounds or so, they started dropping out. They stopped coming. And they slowly were putting on the weight again. And he's like, what is going on? Right? Again, he's trying to fix the weight. Well, here you go. But it's not about the weight. And so as he began to investigate and ask questions of some of these patients, he found out there was some childhood abuse and often sexual abuse being one of them. So he created the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire. And so I'm going to read these questions to you. And just so you know, the reason I'm asking you is because the adverse childhood experience questionnaire, it shows for as many things, many questions you say yes to, it is more likely in adulthood for people to experience sickness and disease. So if your childhood upbringing had some of these or you know, any of these, these are 10 questions. And by the way, the 10 questions, five of them deal with internal things that the mess on the inside of us, things that feel true for us based on our own experience. And then five of the questions are based on circumstantial, the what's going on around us, the environment we're in. Remember, I talked about the, the mess, the internal folly, the external folly. That's why we, we stress and feel afraid and just keep surviving. So the amount of questions you say yes to will also can equate to how much medical assistance and health you health care and health uh, dis-ease you will experience in adulthood. So if you are sitting here and you have chronic pain, you have struggled with your weight, you have food addiction, um, let me read a few more little signs of um, people that are you're battling the ongoing effects of capital T or little t or capital P, little p pains. You have, you deny, you deny or minimize events. You have numbness with your emotions or you're detached from thoughts and actions. You have intense anger or sorrow, right? Intense rage or depression. 
emotional outburst, shame about events, and you kind of recycle that story of shame a lot over and over. You have problems sleeping, insomnia, breathing problems, gastrointestinal problems, high blood pressure or cardiovascular disease, or substance abuse, and this includes food. If you have any of those symptoms going on right now, I'm gonna ask you these 10 questions and just hold up a finger in your hand for, you know, if it's true for you and, and keep score for yourself. Here's the first question, there's 10 of them. Number one, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you? or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt. And by the way, I forgot to say this. If a question feels true to you, then go ahead and just say yes. Even though you're like, I don't know, but something about that question just goes, oh, that hit something with me. Just go ahead and give it a yes. We're not over-dramatizing here, but we're trying to get at some of these deeper, like, oof, issues of, of, of your faith experience and your belief. Number two, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Three, did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touched their body in a sexual way? or attempt to actually have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you. Four, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Five, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat had to wear dirty clothes and had no one to protect you or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if needed? Was a biological parent ever lost to you through divorce, abandonment, or another reason? Was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? or sometimes often or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or knife? Did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? 10. Did a household member go to prison? Okay, now I'm going to read to you a quote. Uh, this is from an author, uh, Donna Jackson Nakazawa. She wrote the book Childhood Disrupted, and this is what she said. How many categories of adverse childhood experiences patients had encountered could by and large predict how much medical care they would require in adulthood? The higher one's ACE score, the higher the number of doctor visits they had in the past year, and the higher their number of unexplained physical symptoms. People with an ACE score of four 
were twice as likely to be diagnosed with cancer than someone with an ACE score of zero. For each ACE score an individual had, the chance of being hospitalized with an autoimmune disease in adulthood rose to 20%. Someone with an ACE score of four was 460% more likely to be facing depression than someone with a score of zero. An ACE score of six and higher shortened an individual's lifespan by almost 20 years. Friends, I said it in stage one, and we really dropped the pin here on stage two of recognizing how the pain we've lived through, the trouble, the capital T, get little P, big P, little T, that pain ongoing changes the organization and structure of our brain, making it hard to think, feel, and choose what's best, and also down-regulates our health of our immune system making us more susceptible to sickness and disease. Our biology is affected by our biography and our biography affects our biology, the story we have lived through. But here's the good news. We have an author and perfecter of our faith and he wastes nothing, nothing. He will take this, metabolize it, change it into something, beauty for ashes, oil of gladness instead of despair. This is what he does, but you have to give it to him. Because pain exists, we tend to seek comfort more than our king. And here's the thing about comfort, y'all. There's a part of your brain it's called the limbic brain. It's the emotional brain. You hear me talk about this if you do revving the word. When you go for a walk or move your body, you're getting limbic, energy in motion, emotion, energy in motion. Everything about a physical activity is you're expressing some energy which cannot be created or destroyed. Remember, we can only take energy and transfer it into something else or transfer it onto someone else. And we tend to move to stay stuck in that limbic brain. And then we have an overactive amygdala. Your amygdala is an awesome part of your brain. It's there to keep you safe, keep you in stage one, keep you living. Should a saber-toothed tiger chase you down the street, you're going to live because of your amygdala. But your amygdala does not know the difference between a saber-toothed tiger and the constant story that you replay or think about or believe in because of rejection or shame. And so that part of our brain gets really active and it's like a little cave. It's a comfort of a cave for us to hide out in with our emotions or to suppress our emotions and feel nothing at all and just stay safe. Spoiler alert, stage three is next week and we're gonna talk about how to express because we got to come out of the cave. People who have lived through uh, adverse childhood experiences or who have chronic or ongoing stress, you're constantly living in that state of panic or fear, right? There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. But for people who are surviving, you thrive off of fear, which is what keeps you signing up for the next weight loss thing. You, you're just sick and tired of the fear and the discontent you feel. And hear me, I'm not against weight loss. I think it's great when the foundation is in place. 
so that you know whether abounding or abasing, you know where your comforter is found, that your comfort is in the king and that anything else will not satisfy. Our king is in the high place. Psalm 61 verse two through three says this, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, right? You ever notice biblically, the Bible's always talking about higher, come up, higher. Why do we say our father who art in heaven? If I say heaven, you don't look down, you look up who is in heaven, holy. If we're gonna say holy, it's going upward. I don't say holy and drop down unless I fall to my knees because I need a savior, a comforter who is a king and not just comfort in the cave of my emotions. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Our brains have this high place called the prefrontal medial cortex. And in stage two of the book, you're going to learn all about it again. I just really, I want you to know this stuff so you can teach it to your kids. Please, oh, please teach it to your neighbors. Teach it to yourself so you know it. This will help make sense of what feels like crazy to you. That's why I wrote this book. (laughs) I know that people feel like, what? Why can't I do this? And this is why. Pain sin, idolatry, that passed on energy, but you can change it with God into something for great gain. Our prefrontal medial cortex is a high place of our brain and it's there for executive thinking. Optimistic thinking doesn't happen in our amygdala, in the emotional brain, hiding out in the low places of our cave brain. It happens when we come up high, we think higher. And when we think higher, we loosen our chains on ourselves. We're just going to go, you know what? I might die here, but it's better to live as Christ. And if I die, it's gain. I know that sounds maybe very dramatic, you guys, but I see the hurt in the world and I don't see it getting any easier. And I want a plan for you. And the plan is Jesus, more him. So in order for us to be able to move and shift into optimistic thinking, one of the quickest ways to do that, to move out of a pain brain, a pain brain that is also affecting your body and your health, the quickest way to do that, ready? Just like we began today. Take a breath. Inhale, big. Exhale, big. You keep doing that and I'm going to read to you. Inhale, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Exhale, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Inhale, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Exhale, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Friend, in this world, we will have trouble we can take heart take a breath lift your gaze and every moment of adversity and pain you have lived through 
God will take it and turn it into triumph and put the enemy to open shame. So by the end, when you have a body revelation, you're able to stand with Satan under your feet and say, it's too bad you picked this day to mess with me. I know whose I am. I belong to a king. He is my comforter. Thanks for hanging out, you guys. I hope this blessed you. Listen, if you haven't purchased a copy of the Body Revelation Swipe Up, we'll take you right there. You get the pre-orders right now. I believe about now you will get the audio copy of the book. You can start listening to chapter one through eight, which is kind of what we've covered in the last two Thursday classes. Uh, Just giving you the best that I got here, but I definitely can't give you all that I got. And you need to know this. If not for you, then please for someone else in your life who could be hurting and needs a way to know that trouble doesn't get the final say. I'll see you next time. See you next week. See you on Monday, Revving the Word, Stage 3. Peace.